0: This episode of the Black Global podcast is sponsored by Blacksit Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blacksit Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check ins, and more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit com and click on Passport. See you inside. I noticed that
1: when I traveled, when I was outside of America,
0: I feel like my health
1: issues were nothing like my mental health. Completely 360. Me being happy was a thing now. You know, I wasn't happy in the States because I'm not able to work. I'm home all day, four walls. I have these animals. I did have friends, but sometimes people don't understand when you're sick and they can't physically see it. They don't understand if you have to call out or you can't make it, you know? So a lot of people would just stop inviting me out anymore, which it was affecting my mental health because I'm like, damn, you know, I'm sick. I can't help it if I say, Hey today, yes, let's make plans for a Friday or Saturday, which is tomorrow. And then Saturday rolls around, Oh man, I can't even get out of bed. Oh man, she's always calling out, she's always faking or whatever. So I'm just like, okay, maybe I need to, you know, leave America.
0: Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love, unapologetic and unbothered, free from daily microaggressions from Karen's and Ken's free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright and this is Global. I'm so excited for this episode of the Black at Global podcast. I get to have a full-on conversation with someone I've already had the pleasure of speaking with this season. You may remember when I was in Portugal on my scouting trip, I had the pleasure of speaking to the members of Black in Portugal. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Heather Proctor, who is joining me today from Lisbon, Portugal. Welcome back to the podcast, Heather.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be back to actually be able to talk to you one-on-one. And I wanted to thank you for allowing Black in Portugal to be interviewed by you. We've had so many positive remarks, comments about that podcast. So I just want to say thank you for giving us that opportunity.
0: Oh, it was my absolute pleasure. And I love the work that you all are doing to uplift and make smooth transitions for people who are interested in relocating to Portugal. And even if they're just transiting through and getting to come to one of you all's wonderful events. I mean, I had so much fun. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's funny because I'm in New Jersey and you're originally from New Jersey. So I would love it if we could start with your origin story. I know you grew up in Trenton.
1: Yes. So I was born um, on the beautiful day of August twenty seventh, nineteen eighty six, at Mercer Medical Center to a beautiful woman named Teresa. That day was very amazing. Beautiful child was born that day, and that beautiful child is me. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Trent, uh Cypress Avenue, which is. I would say a little bit part of the hood, a little bit part of the nice area. There's up the hill and down the hill. Uh, I was born or raised down the hill, which is Close to the school of the blind, closer to more of where people have more uh, bigger houses and kind of up the hill is where more of the, you know, the row homes are in Jersey, the row homes and then like the hood or whatever. But life in Jersey was really good. I did not go to Trenton Public Schools at all. My mom wanted me to have a better education. So I spent a little time in Hamilton, New Jersey, which is next to Trenton, New Jersey. And I went to uh, Steiner High School. Hamilton High School East. I pretty much spent my whole life in Jersey up until I turned 18, I believe, was when I ran off and got married to a military guy and moved to Virginia (laughs) and ended up having a baby, you know, my daughter who's almost 15 now.
0: In that time, like you said, you met a man that was in the military, and then you yourself enlisted. I know now that you are a retired disabled veteran. I yes. want to talk to you a little bit about that like decision to go into the military and that experience. You know, We have different people that listen to the podcast. Some are, and even some of my former guests are, are former military personnel. First of all, thank you for your service. So what was that like?
1: Previously, I was married to my daughter's father, You know, like most marriages, they don't work out. I want to definitely just say for any women that are in relationships that are not healthy, that are abusive, definitely try to find a way out. There are more ways. There's so much support out there instead of staying in that situation. So many times we see women that just stay or they don't get out and then they they lose their lives. You know, we see it all over the media. So um, there's definitely resources. And I hope that you're able to put maybe a link or I can send you a link for battered women or a helpline also on this podcast just as a resource to help out for women that are in those situations. So I had left my husband one day. He went to school. He was in Great Lakes for schooling for some sort. And I actually was tired of everything. The second time I left, this was the final time I uh, was leaving and I packed up my bag, all of McKinsey's things, got them out of the car, drove from Great Lakes, Illinois, all the way back to Chartan, New Jersey. At that time, we were homeless. We didn't have anywhere to go. Um, I ended up sharing a apartment with my sister, but the situation was very different. She had her own room and she had a roommate, a male roommate. So at night he would work a night shift wherever and we would sleep in his bed. And when he would get home in the morning time, that's when we had to get up and start our day. I knew that that really was not a good situation for my daughter. Although we were safe, it just was not ideal. Also, my daughter was really sick. As a child, she was back and forth at the uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, you know, trying to figure out what's wrong with her. And she had all these special formulas and doctor's um, appointments. And I was not receiving any support from my husband, now ex-husband. So I really had to figure out what I needed to do to provide for my child, you know? Um, I was working, but you know, minimum wage back then, I think was maybe six dollars an hour, seven dollars an hour. I'm not even quite sure. With the cost of doctor's appointments and medications and food for my daughter, I, I had to do something. So I said, you know what? Maybe I'll join the military. You know, I'm already used to it. I'm already military wife, Navy wife, you know, how hard can it be? I looked at other branches, but I didn't want to do the army because, I felt like it was a lot of time spent away, a lot of more harder work than what I'm used to. You know, I'm not athletic or anything. Um, The Coast Guard, I did not want to do. The Air Force was a possibility, but because I have a record, the chances of me getting accepted into the Air Force was very slim. The Navy was a better choice. So, you know, I joined the Navy. My record was brought up because, you know, domestic violence comes with issues with the law. And I had to explain everything and I had to make it seem like everything was good. You know, we had no issues. It was in the past. You know, everyone makes mistakes. and I personally begged them to let me in the Navy. I got in the Navy and I think that was one of the best decisions that I could have ever done for my child. Yes, it was hard. You know, I remember driving to North Carolina where my mom was at at the time, right before I went to boot camp, leaving my daughter. You know, I think she was two, one or two or she was about to turn two because I left in May. I remember crying, you know, how hard is it to leave your child that you've been with since you carried her for nine months, you gave birth to her. And then now you're going away for two or three months, you know, and then even after I graduated, I still didn't see her uh, until I think three months later, you know, once I got an apartment and I got situated and everything being in the Navy I sacrificed a lot, you know. The pros of being in the Navy was I was able to provide for my child. My daughter had health care. I did not have to worry about a roof over her head or where we're going to sleep at at night. I will say another hard part about being in the military was, you know, I was stationed in Japan for two years. It was amazing, but I could not bring my daughter. Uh, Or I should say, my daughter was allowed to come with me. I had orders to bring her, but her father out of spite, put our names on the child abduction and kidnapping list. Our name stayed on that list for at least six, six or eight years. Because I was active duty, I had no choice but to serve. And my daughter had to stay behind with my mom. So that was like another really hard part of my career that I had to deal with. But I overcame it. You know, I still maintained a great relationship with my daughter, calling her twice a day. I was only able to come home once during that time. But I know that you have to do things that you don't want to do in order to provide for your children. So altogether, I did eight years and one day in the military. Um Unfortunately, my time was cut extremely short, shorter than what I expected it to be. You know, I wanted to put in an officer package. I had all these high hopes. I was doing things in the military that I could not have done as a civilian. And for those of you that that don't know what I actually did in the military, I actually built bombs for the government. I did missile testing. I built rockets, loaded ammunition into F-18s. I had a really really cool job. But with being in the military, you know, there are things that you don't want to do, such as take vaccinations. You know, they're always shooting you up with something. You know, you don't really know what it is. They're like, hey, it's this. And, you know, you got to take it. So you wait in the long lines at medical and they give you um, vaccinations. So one of the vaccinations that I have received was the anthrax vaccination back in 2010. And I had a number of booster shots after that. It's, it's a series of shots you have to take. Right around the time I had gotten the first shot, I started to feel sick. I just figured it was, you know, on the ship, my first deployment, or in the, you know, the, the Persian Gulf. It was just a lot of different things that I rolled it out. But I was developing autoimmune issues during that time. So when I got back, I was like really sick. Like my eyes were just always red and inflamed. You know, the medical doctors, which aren't technically real doctors, they just told me I had pink eye. That's what they told me for four years that I had chronic pink eye. So when I went to Japan... I, you know, still wasn't feeling good. There were days I would cry in my office and my junior sailors would, you know, try to take care of me the best way they could. My body was in pain and medical wasn't telling me anything. They would just say, here's Motrin, you know, there's nothing wrong with you, you know. So I had a um, really bad flare up one day where I had bumps all over my body. My joints were all swollen. I could barely walk. So I ended up going to medical they thought I had like some type of fungus. They had their little UV light going over my body. And then they took me to the Naval Hospital on base. They ran some tests and then they were asking me all these questions. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, my eyes hurt. My body hurts. I have rashes on my face. They're like, yeah, you have autoimmune issues. And I'm just like, what? They're like, yeah, uh, children's lupus, uh, antiphospholipid syndrome, I'm just like, what? Like, what, what is all this stuff? I don't I only know lupus. You know, I don't know any of the other ones. So they sent me for some more testing. I had to get a um lip biopsy done. And they basically cut open your lip and they take the glands out of your lip and they test it for a specific autoimmune issue. So for four years, I was misdiagnosed with no treatment, no medication, no Relief, no, anything. And then when I finally got that, it was a relief for me because I was severely hurting. You know, my mental health was declining because I knew something was wrong with me, but the military kept saying, No, you're healthy. Nothing's wrong with you because we can't see it. At that time, I was getting ready to leave Japan and I didn't want to extend there. I wanted to see my daughter. I hadn't seen her, you know, I've been away for so long. So I came back and was stationed in uh, Pensacola, Florida as an instructor, teaching kids how to build bombs and do all the fun stuff. I was getting sick again couldn't barely stand i was falling asleep driving uh headaches you know depression you know some days i couldn't even get out of bed and uh, it got to the point where I i was seeing therapists i did sports medicine physical therapy aquatic therapy pain management nothing was really working beneficial for me and it was just getting so much that i ended up being put on bed rest for several months. And during those several months is when they decided that I was going to be med boarded, which is a board they put you up to see if you're able to serve the military or not serve the military, if you're fit for full duty. They decided that they were going to temporarily retire me, which means I was, as I tell people, I'm kind of in the Navy, but kind of not in the Navy. Um, I'm still getting a paycheck, but they can call me back at any time if they wanted to. Three years have passed. You know, I still went to my doctor's appointments and everything. During those three years, I traveled. You know, my daughter was finally able to get her names taken off the um, child abduction kidnapping list. Finally, and uh, we went to Japan, backpacked through Asia for like three months. And I noticed that when I traveled, when I was outside of America, I feel like my health issues were nothing. Like my mental health. Completely three sixty. Me being happy was a thing now. You know, I wasn't happy in the states because I'm not able to work. I'm home all day. Four walls. I have these animals. I did have friends, but sometimes people don't understand when you're sick and they can't physically see it. They don't understand if you have to call out or you can't make it. You know, so a lot of people would just stop inviting me out anymore, which it was affecting my mental health because I'm like, damn, you know, I'm sick. I can't help it if I say, hey, today, yes, let's make plans for a Friday or Saturday, which is tomorrow. And then Saturday, was around, oh, man, I can't even get out of bed. Oh, man, she's always calling out she's always faking or whatever so i'm just like okay maybe i need to you know leave america because my mental health my health seems so much better when i'm traveling but when as soon as i come back to the u.s it's like back to you know my pain taking all this medicine it was just like a lot so when i came up on my reevaluation after three years the doctors asked me you know hey how are you doing we looked at your medical record from your civilian doctors they asked me did i want to get back in the navy Low key, I was just like, you know what? I kind of miss the Navy a little bit. I miss my coworkers. I miss the little deployments. I don't miss, you know, the BS or whatever. But then I thought about my daughter and I thought about everything that I sacrificed for her to have a life that I never had as a child. And I thought about, you know, the stress, what it does to my body, my mental health. And I was just like, no, put down that I'm still not fit for duty. The doctor did. And uh, I was permanently retired from the military in 2020. So only two years ago, just about. And it was the best thing that could have happened because as soon as that happened, we moved to Mexico. Well, actually COVID hit first (laughs) and then we moved to Mexico. Now I'm here in Lisbon and it's just something about this place. Lisbon was the first international city I ever been to. I came back in 2010, my first port. I never thought that... I would be back here. It's just, it's just weird, but I just, I feel so right. And my daughter has fit in so well. She's in a Portuguese private school. She has local friends. She's learning the language. She's thriving here. She's done actually really good to be, she's the only American in her school. So for her to go from unschooling, which is a form of homeschooling, except there's not really a curriculum. You just focus on what your child's interested in to moving to two countries to now going head deep into a school that you're not sure how it's ran. You don't speak the language. I think the sacrifices paid off. I kind of look at it as this had to happen the way it did in order for us to live this life that we have right now. And not all the times you understand why things happen the way they do. I, I remember saying, why me? Why me? Why me? Like, why is this happening to me? I'm such a good person. Like, why me but now i'm looking at the overall picture this was in the line this was in the timeline for me for this to happen i know some people ask for what is a medical retirement so a medical retirement is just like a normal military retirement except instead of doing 20 years or 20 plus years you retire you have all your benefits you have your pension um a medical retirement is you're just medically discharged from the military um, depending on your percentage. For me, I, I am 100% disabled. So my daughter has educational benefits when she goes to college. We will always have healthcare. My daughter will have healthcare until she's, I believe, 18 or 23 if she's in college. I still have a blue retired ID card. Um, I can use the facilities on the base. Since I am medically retired, I am not able to hold a full-time job or any job. I also receive social security benefits. So I am a a recipient of SSDI, which is social security disability, I forget the I part. (laughs) With that money I get, uh, and my daughter gets some of the SSDI money too because she's a minor. Plus my uh, money I get from the VA as well. I am able to live comfortably here in Lisbon, And that's that. I think that you can live comfortably if you did not have tuition, like I do. um, You could live comfortably under 2,500 euros a month uh, for two people, for one person and a child. I'm not sure about an adult, but it might equal to about the same thing. We'll be right back. Are you a Caribbean American? Are you looking for a podcast that truly speaks to your culture and identity? Look no further than Carry On Friends, the ultimate destination for all things Caribbean American, hosted by me, Carrie Ann. Dive deep into topics such as culture, heritage, and everyday life through the unique lens of the Caribbean American experience. You'll walk away feeling more connected to your roots. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts so you'll never miss an episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American experience. Your Caribbean American community awaits.
0: First of all, thank you for being so transparent and telling your your full origin story and what brought you, you know, into the military all the way up until reunifying with your daughter. It struck me in so many ways, definitely as a, a single mom can relate to those decisions that you have to make, and particularly when you uh, make the decision to leave a, a marriage or a relationship, and there are a child or children involved, there's always this this tension and this internal like conflict. You know, am I doing the right thing? But one of the things that you said that really struck me in my heart space was just now that you have this ability to kind of see more of the full picture, it's almost like putting a puzzle together and you see this one little snippet of the piece that you're in. And -hmm. now you can see more of the, of the puzzle picture and see like, Oh, this is like either why or what this was supposed to bring about for me in my life. And so I'm just very happy and and renewed for you and excited for you and your daughter that you have this ability to embark on this journey together, you growing in your own way, and, and her blossoming into the young woman that she's becoming. In 2020, you made the first leap to Mexico, and then ultimately Lisbon, which is kind of like a full circle moment for you. How were you able to arrive at the decision that you didn't want to be in Mexico, and that Lisbon, Portugal was really the right place for you? Was it because you had that first experience when you were in port or was there something else that, you know, really made you think like, hey, this is where I want to stake my claim?
1: Well, for starters, um, (laughs) for 2020, uh, March is when we were actually supposed to backpack through Europe to find where we wanted to relocate to. But of course, you know, COVID hit and Although every bit of me wanted to get on that airplane knowing that there is a chance I would be stuck in Europe, it wasn't really responsible for me to do that. You know, I have a whole house in Florida, I have some bills, you know. <laughs> so I canceled and um because both uh, my birthday and my daughter's birthday are in August, we're 20 years and 20 days apart, crazy. And um Mexico was the only place that was open, so I said, "You know what?" let me go get some tacos from Mexico, you know, and see what's going on down there. So (laughs) we ended up going to Playa del Carmen. It was an experience. I I would say I had a great time down there. I met a friend down there who was also there with her daughter. And I was like, okay, this, this might work. You know, Mexico's a little cheaper. I didn't particularly care for Playa del Carmen. If you've ever been on 10th Street, you know what I'm talking about. It's just too touristy. But it was very affordable. So... When I got back to the States, we spent a month in Mexico, came back to the States in September. And I was like, you know what? I'm selling my house. So in three months, I sold my house. And let me just say, there was a lot of thought that went into that decision. But the fact that um, I lived in Navarre, Gulf Breeze area, which is a beach town. And hurricane season, because we live on the Gulf of Mexico. And my house was a little bit destroyed, a little bit. And my insurance did not want to pay for it. And you know what? I was like, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not going to rent my house out. I'm selling it. Sold everything. I had so much stuff that I had accumulated over the years. I think Americans are so used to having like the nicest things, having all this stuff. And I remember backpacking through Asia with my daughter. We literally just had backpacks and a personal bag. And I'm just like, wow, like I'm happy I can do this. I have like five shirts, three pairs of pants. A little toiletry bag, and I'm, I'm happy and I'm content. And now I'm thinking, like, oh my gosh, I have all this stuff in my garage. I got all the stuff in the spare bedroom, my craft room, all this stuff that is probably like thousands of dollars worth of stuff that we don't use at all. You know, we're just accumulating. And when I look at how other, other countries live, people in Asia, people in Europe, people in Mexico, they're happy with just the basics. You know, I'm not saying you don't have to have nice things. But just to have so much stuff that's wasteful money is is no is no need for it. So all that stuff when I was selling stuff, the people that came to get all my stuff out my uh, garage, I was like, look, if you got kids, take this stuff. You see anything that you want, take it before you dump it. I literally had a woman bring like a huge trailer, and was it was three loads, three loads of stuff. That came out my garage. It was a relief. It was bittersweet because I just I just brought that house, like I think four years prior. Just to let everything go was just like, okay, it's time to move on. So I ended up moving to Merida, Mexico. It's like the hot spot as well. Great single mom community down there. I met a lot of women who forever changed my life down there. But the thing about Mexico, especially that region, the Yucatan, is extremely hot. And the humidity is extremely bad. And although it's beautiful, it's a beautiful city, it's so magical. With me having autoimmune issues, the heat is not good for me at all. It's like, I feel like I'm having a heat stroke, I get extremely sick. Long term, I knew that that was not ideal for me. Um, also, my daughter wanted to go to college in Europe. Of course, her first choice is Japan, but Japan's been closed for like since the dark ages. And also, I'm in film school, so I wanted to be able to film somewhere in Europe. In Mexico, like I said, it's too hot to be filming outside. So when I thought of Europe, I thought of, okay, if my family needs to come for an emergency, what's the first place that's like an easy stop? get off and go and that was Portugal before Portugal was like so blown up right now you know it was talks about you know how easy it was to get a visa because I was looking um originally I started my paperwork for Japan this was like right before the pandemic hit um but then the pandemic and it changed everything so I was looking at Portugal and I was looking at Spain the only thing with Spain is that because I'm, ten, I'm retired, you know, and I'm retired at a super young age. It could be more difficult for my application to get approved. Also, long-term to become a citizen. It was more difficult than Portugal. And I said, you know what? I want something where I can fill out application. I can come live there. Me becoming a citizen or a resident had its perks. That was easy, which is only five years for Portugal. It was more ideal. And like I said, I've only been here one time. And I didn't know anything about Portugal. And when I came to Portugal in 2010, I didn't see any black people at all. So I was amazed with all the black people here. (laughs) That's how Portugal came along. You know, there wasn't really any other European country that really caught my eye. And also the distance between like Portugal and Africa is very close. Uh, I wanted the best of both worlds, you know, Europe and Africa and Portugal is so perfectly positioned. It's right there.
0: Wow, that's amazing. You talked a little bit about settling in. And, you know, in our previous episode, which I'll link in the show notes for those of you who haven't listened, Heather talked about acclimating and finding like the hair spots and you know, all those things that you know, we as black people and we as black women want to know about, but you talked a little bit about film school. So now that you're retired, it it seems as though you have this time now to further your interests in pursuits. So was film school something that you had always wanted to pursue, or was that a new interest because you're in this new land?
1: So um I'm a photographer, and one of my good friends has suggested. I go to film school because we're always bouncing ideas off each other, Watching like YouTube videos and looking at like the brand new gear. And I remember several years ago, I looked at the, I think it's LA or New York film school, you know, they sent brochures, you know. And I was just like, wow, this is interesting, but I could never pay for this. So it had to have been before the Navy. It just never crossed my mind. So when my friend sent this to me and I was like, you know what? Let me just look at it. And he was just like, you should go for it. You'll be great at it just go for it. So I'm like, you know, what? whatever, let me go for it. The military is paying it anyway. They're paying me to go to school too. So why not get a free education? Prior to that, I was in school for psychology, but because of, you know, me being sick, I just really couldn't continue with my courses. I will say I would like to do documentaries. Um, I don't see myself working on a film set for any major motion film. I would like to most likely direct or produce uh, I've also written one short film already, which I filmed back in January, which Ashley, who was on the podcast with us, starred in. I'm in the process of finishing up another short film that I have been writing since November. <laughs> I'm getting there, but it's it's just something different. I think being able to tell a story from in front of the lens. You know, one of my goals is to do a documentary series of Black expats that are living abroad, telling their stories, like uncut stories that, you know, you normally don't hear from other documentaries that are out there currently.
0: That's powerful. And, you know, obviously it's something that resonates with me having this platform and even with the work that you all do with Black in Portugal, it's elevating and amplifying these stories is so critical. Not only for the people who aspire to one day do it or don't even know and like are passively listening and thinking, like, maybe I want to go to this place or maybe I could see myself, you know, living there. It's also affirming for the people who have made those decisions and gone along those journey steps and oftentimes did it before it became a thing, if you will. And so it's really important to add those stories to the collective fabric of the expat journey, because it isn't just for a particular class of people or a particular ethnic group. It's like, if you, if it's in your heart and you want to pursue it, you don't necessarily have to wait until you're like traditional retirement age or for all these other things that sometimes we put these false barriers that Mm. um, prolong or prevent us from achieving our dreams. Now that you've been in Portugal and Lisbon for some time, what's been the thing in your transition that has been most surprising to you?
1: I am a different person. What I mean by a different person, I'm not talking about like my character. If you were to ask anyone from back home, from before I moved abroad, how would you describe Heather? They would say introvert, she keeps to herself, she doesn't go to any clubs, she doesn't do anything. She just, you know, shows up for the food and like will leave. Now, you know, my friends here say I'm this social butterfly and they're, you know, it's hard to believe I'm an introvert, but I really am an introvert, you know, I'm going to clubs, I'm meeting people, I'm talking to people, I'm out in these streets. I'm just, I think because I have truly transitioned, i blossom. blossomed, I feel like maybe I was like a caterpillar, like in a cocoon, you know, waiting and waiting, and waiting, and waiting. And then I think Lisbon Coming here was the part where it was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to show the world who I am, ready to show the world just something different. You know, I would say my growth is just, it's weird. You know, my mom, she's just like, oh, I've been watching your Instagram stories. I see you, you out here, you meet people. You know, I couldn't get you to talk to anybody before. And I was just like, mom, listen, please don't watch my Instagram stories. Sometimes I want to, you no, know, block her from it. <laughs> Some things I post, I was like, I don't want my mom to see. It's that. I think I'm just happy. I think before, in a sense, I was happy. So I'm like, I got the house, you know, the American dream. I got a house, my kids in school, my car is paid off. I got, you know, maybe $100 in my savings account. And that mindset, that American dream, I just was not happy with. I was not happy. I didn't feel fulfilled. You know, owning a house, you got all these, the light break, you got to pay for that. The toilet break, my, my garage springs broke. I had to pay someone to put new springs on it. And that wasn't making me happy. But being here, knowing that my quality of life is better, knowing that, you know, I could look outside and it could be like rainy out, but I could still see the beauty in the rain. It really, it really changed me. So I would say that that would definitely be my biggest accomplishment or the biggest thing I've seen change. I forget what your question was, but.
0: <laughs> no, it's just like, what well, was the biggest surprise? And you nailed yeah, it. Right. Just being able to be, you know, on a fertile ground has a- allowed you to blossom into, as you said it, this new person. So yeah. on the flip side of that, you know, we have been there now, what, you're coming up on a year. Coming up on right? a year on my birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Coming up on a year. And what's been the biggest challenge or adjustment in this time
1: let me tell you about these portuguese people okay i'm trying to have patience i'm trying to give them grace but they are something else i'll tell you if you're coming to portugal have patience practice in the mirror count to 10 do what you got to do because they will test you And as much as I don't like to bring my American, you know, side out, Black American side out, but sometimes you gotta get crazy with them. (laughs) That would be the biggest challenge um, besides the language. The language barrier can be a little bit of the challenge learning the Portuguese, not so much communication, and also knowing that sometimes the Portuguese people cannot be friendly at all. Every time you go shopping, you have to give your NIF, which is a tax ID number. So it's crazy that Portuguese people have to still give it. I don't know. It's weird, but I like to say mine in Portuguese because they're speaking to me in Portuguese. I'm trying to tell them Portuguese and I'm telling them and they're just like, speak English. I'm like, no, I'm going to speak in Portuguese. It's only numbers. You can't understand my number. And I speak slowly, speak slowly and... I know it's not me. It's them not listening to these numbers. They're like, that's not the number. I'm just like, this is the number. I know you can't see what I'm doing, but <laughs> I say it. Um, so sometimes they, when you want to try to learn or practice your Portuguese out in town, it can be very discouraging, which is another reason why I'm slowly learning, not progressing as fast as I want to. They're not very friendly, I can say sometimes. And I remember I had this conversation with some friends. Like when I'm in Mexico, the Mexicans, they they just be talking sometimes. And sometimes I don't understand everything. You know, my Spanish isn't, you know, perfect. I know a little something, something. But I feel so comfortable speaking. Even when I'm making mistakes, I feel comfortable. I feel so welcomed and you know, having those conversations. But these Portuguese, it's just like cutthroat. You know, either you speak Portuguese or you don't. If you don't, don't even talk to them. And it really, it's like a it's like a, a stab in the heart. Because I, I want to learn, I want to learn, but they're not always friendly all the time.
0: You have overcome so many challenges and mm-hmm. you know not yielded, not given in, but found a way out of no way. And so even though you're in Lisbon, where a lot of people, even the two weeks that I was there, I was able to move about with very, very little knowledge of Portuguese. And I've heard that from other people who are there, is that because English is spoken so often there that they don't get a chance to practice. So what steps are you taking to overcome? Because I know you talked about ultimately wanting citizenship. And so with that, you know, my assumption is you'll have to do some type of test to demonstrate your language proficiency.
1: Yes. So I think that I'm not sure if it's because it's tourist season here or not, or what it is, but I Did notice recently a few weeks back on the Metro that normally the announcements are made in Portuguese and also the uh, LED screen with, you know, the Metro line. You see the Metro line. It will show up in Portuguese. But I noticed that now they're starting to make announcements in English and now they have English going across the, the signs. So I think from that aspect, I don't know if the Portuguese are trying to incorporate more English to accommodate the people that are coming. Um, But for me, it does, I feel like it does make it a little harder because now, you know, I'm going to be like, oh, there's going to be something in English, you know, versus it being in Portuguese and me seeing words and like, okay, let me Google what this word means or whatever. I was taking classes, Portuguese classes. um, And as I mentioned to you, that it's, it's easier to understand Black Portuguese people when they speak Portuguese because it's a lot smoother, it's less nasally and in the throat. But the white Portuguese is so nasally and so throaty that it's very hard to say the words because in English, English language, we're not used to making those sounds. So I found that finding someone that's Black, uh, a, black a Black local that speaks Portuguese it's easier to get lessons from than a white Portuguese to learn the language from.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that is they tend to drop certain sounds in their language, much like, I guess, many languages, right? There's certain sounds that you'll see the letters, but it's not pronounced or certain (laughs) rules. Um, But as someone who's learning the language, and, you know, you might be trained to like, oh, well, I'm supposed to pronounce this sound, it can be challenging and you know for me that's why I've been taking classes Portuguese with Carla because she's Angolan and Portuguese and so I find that it's easier for me to understand what she's saying and even just hearing like the scenes in repetition it's easier for my ear to kind of discern the the different words Mm -hmm. than when I'm speaking with um, a white Portuguese person who may have, like you said, the, the nasally sound and then they're dropping a vowel or something like that. And I'm just like, the words seem to kind of meld together. That's definitely been a challenge, but something that I'm committed to. And, and for those of you who are interested in, you know, learning European Portuguese, you know, drop a link in the uh, show notes for this episode so you can check that out for yourself and give it a go. <laughs> So as we start to close, Heather, you're on this journey and and that's, you know, your, your IG handle as well. What do you see as your path forward for the future? Is it, you know, continuing to live in Portugal? I know you talked about your daughter pursuing a desire to go to college in Europe. Like, what do you think that the future is holding for you?
1: Oh, man. Um... For sure, good health, good relationships, and good weather because the Portuguese food, we all know, is a little bland on the side. But I want to stay in Portugal at least for five years. Um, Ultimately, I need to get that EU passport, you know, in case things go crazy in the US. I got a backup plan. But I, I like it here, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you walk the neighborhoods, you've seen the different neighborhoods and you kind of found a neighborhood where you kind of like fit in and you like. And even though like some people like the other neighborhoods are down another street, it's kind of like I fit in so well here. And I know like what I'm doing, um, not only with Black in Portugal, with me actually going out and supporting these other local Black communities, the Cape Verde neighborhoods and other neighborhoods. I feel like I can make an impact here, um, whether it's big or small, you know, just knowing that I'm able to show up and support, I won't say the Black community, but the African community, because at the end of the day, we're all descendants from Africa. We don't know where we came from. I want to learn more. I want to learn more about my people, whether they came from Angola, and whether they came from Mozambique, Ghana, Senegal. And I want to know more. And I feel like Lisbon for me is a great place because there's so, it's like a melting pot because there's so many people from Africa here and within the neighborhoods outside of Lisbon, it's so much to offer. And I don't know if you watched, have been watching my Instagram stories. You know, I'm learning so much more about the black history or African history that has taken place within Lisbon, which a lot of people don't know because they come to Lisbon thinking, Oh, it's beautiful. It's safe. There's no guns, but you know, it's it's the same story but different country, and I think that for me, wherever I'm living at, I want to know the history outside of what is on the preface that no one else sees. So, staying here and getting to know more locals, knowing the history, making organic relationships is really important to me. So, in a, in a nutshell, yes, I do see myself living here long term. Um, I still plan on traveling. Maybe one day if I have another husband, he might want to move here and we buy a house somewhere in Portugal. But I think it's it's a great fit for me. Definitely.
0: So for someone who's listening to this episode, who's is a single mom, who's a veteran, who's listening to your story and can see themselves in it. And they're not quite sure what to do about, you know, this desire to move abroad. What advice would you give them?
1: I would say, write down what you want to do. If you want to move out the U.S. or whatever country you're living in, write it down. I then suggest that you surround yourself and make connections with people who are already doing it. I think that it's easier to be supported by a community that's already doing it or has done it versus staying in a community that is, you know, fear-based. You know, when I say fear-based, for example, I moved to Mexico. Oh, you're going to get shot. This The cartel, you know, basing that fear and it gives you those second thoughts or why are you going to travel? You're sick, you know, and traveling was the best thing that could have happened to me. So finding a community that supports what you want to do is very important. And also using resources. Um, I know that you post so many different people on Instagram a lot. I know Shar Winter has her expat app That's a great resource. There's also so many different Facebook groups for the Black community. There's a ton in Mexico, Costa Rica, Portugal, uh, Spain, Illinois, Madrid. Um, There's so many. Those are the communities that you really, really, really should join and reach out to and find your own tribe, build that community. And if you're thinking about moving to Portugal, my my inbox is always, always open. I'm always um, open to helping anyone, veterans who are going through the process of being med boarded single moms who you know are worried about their kids going to fit in or if it's the right choice anyone no matter what your age is definitely make that leap my mom just moved to mexico and she's 60 some odd years young and she was she was one of the people that could not understand why i wanted to move out the u.s and she visits she came to visit me for two weeks in mexico before i moved to portugal and she came back she sold her house and now she moved to Mexico herself.
0: Wow, so, that's incredible.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's just seeing it, living it, visit, scout it. It just is so powerful, but you have to be surrounded by the right people. And then once you make that step, it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to be scared, you know, but just know that you have a community that's here to support you.
0: Wow, that is amazing and a perfect note to end our chat. So Heather, where can people find you?
1: People can find me on my personal Instagram page under Heather's underscore amazing underscore journey. Um, you can also find me in the Black in Portugal group. I'm always in there posting our events and different, different things that are going on. Also, if you have any questions or events that you would like to attend with Black in Portugal, uh, definitely check out our Black in Portugal page. I don't personally answer the uh, messages in there, but it's a great resource for anything that's happening in Portugal. Um, And also we all highlight a ton of different people that are here visiting while they're living here or staying or just passing by.
0: Thank you so much, Heather, for being a guest on the Blacks of Global podcast. Like I said, I'm so excited that we got the opportunity to have an in-depth conversation together so I can learn more about you and your amazing journey. I wish you and your family all the best. And I look forward to seeing you again in person when I move to Portugal.
1: Oh, my goodness. You need to hurry up. Soon, soon. Not soon enough, but very soon. I can't wait to see you again.
0: Thank you for listening to the Blacksick Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blacksickglobal.com. It's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright. Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at Blacksitglobal.com resources. That's Blacksitglobal.com resources.